Hi, everyone. So just to let you know that this is part one of a two-part episode. We're talking about a book by Diana Suhami called No Modernism Without Lesbians. And we had so much to say, and we decided to split it into two episodes to make it more manageable. Yeah. Yes, more manageable, and because we don't know how, how much you can take. So um, we thought we'd, we'd make it a little bit easier for you and, and just give you a little bit of time. Um, keep you coming back. Um, so we hope you enjoy and and have a great day a great gay day okay love you bye hello and welcome to another episode of Dicalicious podcast i'm leah and i'm casey and today we have a very special guest with us on the show, Maria. It is I, yes, once again. So we're very, very excited to have her here. So, guys, how gay, I mean, it's quite early for you when we're recording this episode, so how gay was your week? Uh, my week was a good amount of gay. There was a lesbian party on Saturday night that Maria and I went to together. Oh, was there? Oh, yeah. FOMO. It was pretty funny. It's like a monthly party that we go to and the event venue for this month, something happened and they couldn't figure out how to turn the lights off. So the whole party was in like dark. just in normal, no, just in like a normal light. They just had the lights on and um, you could see everybody around. It was, it was a very different experience indeed. And it made me feel very sober. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, the lights are on and you're like, oh. Where was that? Which party was it? It was the Wet For Me, which is the name of said monthly party. Anyway, that's, uh, that's been, I feel like that's been my week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maria? Yeah, so my week has been fairly gay so far. So I went to the same party as Casey. Other than that, not much has happened. Work, I don't know. Depending on which way you class books as being kind of very gay or not <laughs> very nice very nice because you do have a job surrounded by books correct? indeed so I work in a university library mm -hmm. and in fairness there are some new books that we have bought recently that are very much centered on like um, queer lives and queer literature and so on and so forth so I am eagerly waiting to catalog them <laughs> <laughs> and to read them yeah but very nice <laughs> Very nice. And you, Leah, how was, how gay was your week? Well, listen, uh, over here in Delhi, it's, uh, do you know what? Every day is a gay day. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, I've spent quite a lot of time this week just riding around on my bike. So that's been pretty gay. And then uh, I... I celebrated my eight my eight years of sobriety, which was something that was really really great. And um, yay, congratulations! So thank you very much. Snaps, um, very proud of you. Thank you, thank you. And what else has been gay that's happened in my week? I mean, there are, we also have some stray kittens downstairs that since we've oh. like been living in this apartment, like the first day we arrived, we saw this kitten that was probably like a few days old, and. <gasps> It had oh been God. hit by a car and half of its oh, ear was like, like oh it looked God. like it was dying. I'm sorry for the graphic. And in any case, so we kept seeing the, the kitten, whatever, like we went down the next day and the kitten was disappeared. So we were like, oh, I hope the kitten's all right. But we thought like the worst had happened. 
And so then a few days later, we saw this kitten with its mama and its other sibling, like just walking down the road, like totally fine. Like the ear was still kind of hanging off, but the kitten was super happy. So now we've been feeding it all the time. Yeah. Sophie, so my girlfriend, she is constantly like, she'll be hanging out on the balcony and she'll call me and like look inside the doors and just like call me with her hand. And she's like, come and have a look, come and have a look. And so I'd come out to the balcony and I'd be like, what are you looking at? And she'd be like, the kittens are here. And it's like, oh my God, let's get the food. We've got to go and feed them. And so about three times a week, we go downstairs, we feed these kittens and we try to get them to come home with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where we're at now. Uh, in the midst of trying to make two little kittens come home with us, uh, we don't really know what's going to happen to the mama, but that's mm-hmm. our story. Okay, so you're currently you're currently trying to adopt two kittens, and you're riding your bike. I forget. Like, is this the gayest week of your year? I mean, I feel it's like incredible. every week here is like this, and I wasn't imagining that. So it's actually been a very nice like surprise that Delhi could be like this incredible I, mean, I don't know I'm, so I'm just like yeah it's insane it's like almost as gay as my life in Paris almost incredible without incredible. such incredible friends close by oh. yes anyway so yeah so gay weeks all round by the sounds of it fantastic okay so today's topic is a book that we have all very much enjoyed uh no Modernism Without Lesbians. Yes. So this book is by Diana Suhame, and it's a kind of like a historical look into the period of modernism in mostly in Paris. Um, And she's chosen four different women who were pivotal in encouraging the creative people at the time so writers artists musicians etc who created like who worked within the modernist movement of the time that was a wonderful explanation (laughs) (laughs) could have said it any better myself (laughs) so uh, we've all chosen um a person to to discuss today we've all learned quite a lot uh, which will be sharing with you guys there's four of them and three of us so um we'll start off with a little bit of background and Mm -hmm. maria actually did this research for us thank you maria um thank you maria that's okay so i guess from the book we got the understanding that paris was just filled to the brim with lesbians at the time (laughs) lesbians and, (laughs) and gay people too i guess and um but mainly lesbians mainly lesbians which is what we're interested in and we're wondering why this happened? Like, why was Paris such a good hotspot for them? Um, I mean, there's a few reasons. There is one reason that is actually not mentioned in in Swami's book, um, which is that in France, actually, homosexuality was decriminalized in 1791. Oh, wow. So it's actually the first oh, wow. European state. Yeah, it's the first European state that had homosexuality decriminalized. So these lesbians could very comfortably go there and Mm -hmm. not be prosecuted by the law. Um, So that was already kind of one thing. I don't know where things exactly stood in the US, but if you confront that with the UK already, um, homosexuality was a criminal act. Mm -hmm. And 
um, homosexuality between men was mm-hmm. a criminal act. Mm-hmm. Um, homosexuality between women Did became became <laughs> a criminal act. So in 1885, actually, um, there was a clause that was called Acts of Gross Indecency between female persons. However, the the thing that was really funny about this was that, yes, there was a law that kind of, you know, made uh, homosexuality between women a criminal act, but men didn't actually want to talk to women about the fact that this was a criminal act because they were like, imagine all these women, they're going to be told that, you know, like such a thing as lesbianism exists, you know, like this is going to make our birth rate go go down, um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, you're going to have like uh, loads of like debauched young girls and, you know, like they're, you're going to drive them crazy and stuff like that. So <laughs> it was part of the law. But no one knew that it was part of the law. <laughs> it was a very unspoken... It's a secret law. Yeah. And so Swami actually does mention the, the 1885 um, kind of act. Um, and also, I mean, like, probably one of the most famous things that happened in the UK as well was uh, the trial of Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he, in 1895... Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually went to prison because he was found out and, you know, uh, the love story that he had with uh, another man. So there was already kind of on one side the fact that being a lesbian was not criminal uh-huh. in France in general. Um, but the other reason why loads of people actually moved to Paris, especially when coming from the UK and the US, was that the rents were lower mm-hmm. just in general. Um, I don't think it's the same the now. Fact that yeah <laughs> it's still rent control just the control has gone up yeah unfortunately. it's no longer controlled it's very high <laughs> it's not one dollar a day anymore alas uh, but yeah so the rents were lower and also the uk and the uk and the us um were actually a lot more conservative than france at the time so mm-hmm. you had prohibitionism in the us um very strong patri- patriarchal societies um, which meant that, you know, women in general and lesbians more specifically want to kind of just get away yeah. from uh, um, that kind of thing. And I, and I guess especially if you're an artist and you don't really want kind of, if you're a woman artist, um, you don't really want kind of a bunch of men just telling you, you know, like, no, actually, this is not good. You yeah. should kind of do whatever I say. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the other reasons was that a lot of the lesbians that we're going to be talking about had money. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah, so like it made it easier for them to move somewhere else. And even people that um, didn't have like loads of money, they could actually rely on the lesbian community that was already in Paris mm-hmm. because there were people that were money. So uh, that, ha- that had money mm-hmm. um, and that were ready to help them to share basically. That's yeah. Very yeah. generous. Generous yeah. lesbian. Interesting. Very generous lesbians. That's what we love. Yeah, that's quite interesting because so the four women um, in the book are all expats. None of them are French, but they did all live in Paris. They did. Yeah. They did all meet and enjoy life in Paris. Um, a nice place to enjoy it. It sounds like it was incredible. Just yeah. A bit of a hoot, yeah. I mean, what was the modernist movement? It's a like literary artistic kind of movement that sort of develops from the end, I would say, of like the 19th century all the way to like, uh, I'd say like the second Second World War, like the end of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot about 
you know like just disruption especially in terms of like art and and literature so like some of the stuff that you see in literature is that you know narrative conventions they play a lot around with them so for instance you know like the idea of having a narrative with a a beginning a middle and an end Mm -hmm. is that still valid Mm -hmm. we don't know we're gonna play around with it so they do a lot of uh, stuff about that and I think that also like in terms of the subjects that you know like the topics let's say that you talk about like they're a bit different from what you would expect from like a Victorian fiction, for instance. Mm-hmm. In terms of art, it's kind of the same. So they play a lot with the with conventions mm-hmm. and not respecting conventions, especially. So there is kind of something in the Gertrude Stein um, chapter that they mention about, for instance, people like Matisse or Picasso. So you see like the proportions are very different from what mm-hmm. you would have expected beforehand. And to the point where when the works are first presented they don't think that the painters can paint mm-hmm. at all because it's so disruptive and it's something that they haven't seen so it's like it's just the fact that you know from something that was a bit more ancient than you have like the modern stuff like stuff that like reflects mm-hmm. more like the the modern times modern society okay. beautiful and these women use those ideas of modernism in their lives as well they disrupted society disrupted mm. conventional relationships and they all encouraged each other Thank you so much for that. I really appreciated that. Yeah. The uh, first person mentioned in the book is Sylvia Beach, who who worked in book publishing and she had her own bookshop, which, so she started the bookshop, which is called Shakespeare and Company and which still exists today. It's a very famous, yeah. Very famous tourist destination. destination. And also like one of the, one of the big English bookstores in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um it was in a different location when she first started. It was closer to Odeon. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. And it was across the road from another lady who owned a bookstore who made eyes with Sylvia and uh, <laughs> moved in upstairs. Did she? Um, she? Their story is quite interesting. We won't go too, too in-depth with it but I do remember I read that chapter a while ago and I do remember one thing that that girlfriend the French girlfriend who was living with Sylvia for a while at some point went on holiday and came back with a new 18 year old girlfriend and uh, things changed all right yeah yes so these lesbians were all living happily in Paris but there was plenty of drama to go around yeah, it sounds it sounds like a, it was quite an intense uh, period of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of changing partners. So that's Sylvia. We won't talk too much about her, but the next one in the book was Briar. Yes. So I decided to take on Briar, who obviously is no longer alive and can't actually tell us their pronouns. And with all of the information that we have on Briar, the main fact is that Briar felt trapped in the wrong body since they were a child. And so I believe the most respectful way that I can refer to Briar is by using the pronouns they, them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is just the way that I have interpreted it and the way that I would like to um, to talk about them mm-hmm. uh, in the most respectful way possible. And so, I mean, in general, like historians do tend to use the sex that was assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like just with the knowledge that we do have, um, they then would be a little bit more kind of respectful. Um, mm-hmm. So without further ado, Briar, who is an uncelebrated hero of modernism, 
brought into this world as Annie Winifred Ellerman in the year of 1894 into the richest family in England. However, they were illegitimate since their father refused to sign the birth certificate. Oh. Their parents did not marry until Briar's mother gave birth to a son, a sufficient heir and needed to legitimize the son and as a secondary consideration, their teenager, Briar. Yeah. Uh, even from adolescence, they felt like they were trapped in the wrong body. Briar wrote many novels in which the hero was a 12-year-old boy as if it was in fact this boy that was trapped within themselves, which I think was, was very, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So Briar had always wished that they were their father's son and just to pass his test of approval. They ran away several times as a child but could get no further than the end of the street. And as a family, they used to travel around and sail a lot on their father's ships. Uh, A quote from Briar, I watched the seamen enviously because the thing I wanted most was a boy's sailor suit. Uh, As soon as Briar's brother was born and without any explanation from their family, they were sent off to a ladies' college in Eastbourne. This school only highlighted the sense of dislocation that Briar felt. In 1911, Briar made their first friend, yay, Uh, and would go on holidays with Doris and her family to their house in the Scillies, just off the coast of Cornwall. They then decided to take on the new name Briar, which is one of the Isles of Scilly that they chose to be defined by the sea, the cliffs, and by a landscape beyond gender, which I think is, I think that it's a, obviously it's very beautiful, but they're a poet, so it kind of makes sense. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's nice that they, I don't know that they got inspired and that even though during those times taking on a new name wouldn't have been the normal thing to do, Mm. that they still felt comfortable enough to be able to take on a new name and give it Mm. such a beautiful um, explanation. Yeah. So once Briar had left school, they asked their father to let them work in the family business, to which he refused. He said that women will never be accepted at conferences. They'd even applied to work as a land girl at the age of 20 and the permission was once again refused by their dad. So this is a time where we see Briar, the novelist, come out. In order to express their humiliation of being trapped inside of a woman's body, Briar began writing development in which they advocated educational reform for women. I've always been a feminist if that word means fighting for women's rights and I glory in it. Equality means equality with no special privileges, or advantages on either side. But why should men have all of the interesting jobs? That is a very good question. Mm, It's a good point. Mm. So on to the next kind of chapter of Briar's life uh, and a relationship that would last a lifetime. Briar found themselves very interested in poems and stumbled upon Hilda Doolittle, who I'm going to be referring to as HD, Mm -hmm. uh, to Hilda's collection of poems, The Sea Garden. Briar was pretty obsessed and wanted to meet this person, not knowing that HD was an American lady. So as you do, Briar wrote her a fan letter requesting to meet and was invited on July the 17th. When they met, it seems that HD was already quite the charmer, already pregnant with Cecil Gray's child. However, she was already married to a soldier called Adlington. Now, as you can imagine, are we clear on that? So... (laughs) Just to go over it one more time, HD was pregnant with Cecil Gray's child, but mm-hmm. she was married to a different guy, a soldier called Adlington. And okay. this is where Briar met her. All right. So as you can imagine, HD had gotten herself into a little bit of a pickle 
especially considering that neither of these two men wanted to take responsibility as the father of the child. Fast forward a few months prior to the rescue, Briar found HD quite close to death in Ealing and took care of her, paid and arranged for everything for the birth of this child. Briar had saved her life and in turn, HD had become Briar's life. Just as we lesbians take on all of these responsibilities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a lot of speculation that HD was using Briar with B paying for everything and giving her the lifestyle that she wanted. In fact, Mm. HD often said that she would leave B and that she wasn't in love. Okay, so she made it very clear. She made it pretty clear that she was not interested. Um, But it was kind of, I guess, circumstantial since Briar was just giving all of this money away and attention Mm -hmm. and care and love. And uh, she just needed a sugar daddy. Pretty much. And she found one. She did find one. And unfortunately, they're not as easy to come across uh, nowadays. Um, You just rock up (laughs) on your door. I mean, honestly, if if you could just find a sugar daddy that just like knocked on the door, it's like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan. I've read your poem. (laughs) Uh, Life sorted, paid for. And it gets even worse, okay? So Mm. like, strap yourselves in. So HD had the baby, okay? Okay. They traveled together, became companions, but HD's mental health was in a pretty bad state. So Mm. they decided to go back to HD's home country, the USA, Meanwhile, Briar was having some problems with their family with the inheritance that they were receiving. Mm-hmm. In order to keep up appearances and to keep Briar's family happy, they ought to marry a man. Briar met a guy called McCalman, uh, who was a mm-hmm. queer man, and he had basically agreed to be their beard, uh, which is the term for like, um, generally when you have a beard, it's like two queer people that are in the relationship to make them pass off as straight. So, yes, this guy had agreed to be their beard in order to save Briar's income and obviously mm-hmm. also got a little bit of a percentage of it. Um, mm-hmm. So HD said she found it easier to love B, uh, to love Briar when she was away from them, which is not the nicest thing to say oh, about wow. your partner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm, I don't know if I'd be that happy with them saying that. Uh, so back to McCalman, the the beard, uh-huh. uh, who was a little bit of a party boy and would get quite drunk and run around stripping naked. So as you can imagine, <laughs> this was far from ideal for Briar and the reputation of their very uh, accredited family. Mm-hmm. So with McCalman not being the best fake husband... And now the future of HD's child at risk due to the desertion measures from their husband, Adlington, Hmm. uh, the couple had to figure something out. So in 1926, the kind of thruple situationship moved to London. HD's first lesbian love, Frances Gregg, introduced her to a friend, the bisexual Kenneth McPherson, Mm -hmm. who HD then began having an affair with. Oh, Okay. okay. So they all moved to London, two lovely flats, brilliant, everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. HD gets introduced by her first lesbian love mm-hmm. to her ex. Yeah, basically by her ex to a guy that she's going to start having an affair with. Mm-hmm. But it gets even worse, okay? Because 
whilst uh, Briar was getting fed the fuck up with McCalman, mm-hmm. the the first husband, who was also very queer. So whilst B was getting fed up with him, um, he obviously didn't want to get a divorce because, I mean, he was getting paid and he had a perfect yeah, fucking life. he was life. cushy. Exactly. Yeah. Very cushy. Anyway, they managed to find a way around that. Briar had a new challenge, which was to accept the fact that HD and McPherson's sexual relationship was a thing because, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. So what would the logical thing to do be in this situation? Of course, Briar decided that they were going to marry McPherson. Oh, what? Oh. Yes. And this would save HD's kids' citizenship. So, just to put it plainly, okay, HD sleeping or having an affair with somebody, some random queer man, because he was Mm -hmm. queer as well, Mm -hmm. um, and Briar trying to do everything that that they could for the love of their life or however they felt about HD Mm -hmm. in order to save the the kid and the fact that HD could continue to look after the child. Mm-hmm. The only way forward was to adopt the child because of the mm-hmm. problems that, that HD was having with the ex husband, with yeah. the husband, technically, because they were still married. Anyway, so completely selfless, Briar decides to marry the person that their partner is having an affair with. Oh my God. This is right? too nice. It's too, like, too generous. Too generous, right? Like, how? I don't know. Right. So, this is where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. To sum up, a he trapped in the body of a she, their essentially bisexual husband, who they only married to save their lover's child, was having an affair with their bisexual lover who loathed them quite a fair amount. So, in 1927, the Thrapple 2.0 moved to Mm -hmm. Switzerland and acted like one big happy family. This is when... B and McPherson started pool productions, which brought them closer to Paris, Berlin, and to Russia. They aspired change in the direction of British film to make it magical. It's at this point where Briar's creativity and generosity started to really emerge. The generosity towards um, the modernist movement started to emerge because the generosity is quite clear already. One last thing on the Thrupple 2.0 is that HD had written a casual letter to McPherson to say that she got a hair cut off. And, oh, by the way, she's pregnant with his child. Oh, right. Yeah. So what did he do? Panic, as you would, and convinced her to come to Berlin and to get an abortion at the same time, not really believing that it was his child, as she was seeing multiple other men in London. All right. So Briar then became uh, a patron of modernism, a major figure of the international sets in Paris in the 1920s by using their fortune to help many struggling artists and writers, including James Joyce and Sylvia Beach, who opened the infamous Shakespeare and Co. Mm -hmm. The Thrapple also launched the film magazine Close Up, which published a progressive and opinionated film journal. And from their home in Switzerland, Breyer even helped evacuate more than 100 people from the Nazi Germany. Wow. In 1983, Breyer died at the age of 88. Breyer showed us just how generous one could be and leaves behind an immeasurable impact on modernism. Incredible. Beautiful. Yes. Was there ever any writing about um, Breyer's feelings for HD? 
aside from her checks? To be honest, I've scoured quite a lot of material. And I mean, Briar literally like was just so, I don't know, devoted in a way. Like even like after all of this had happened, the kids were probably grown up. Um, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but they had decided to live separately. Mm. But they were still partners until mm-hmm. HD died before Briar. So, mm. I mean, I don't know if there was just like Briar had serious commitment issues to the point where they were like, one person is enough for me in my entire life. Mm. And like getting out of that and the comfortability or whatever. Um mm. But yeah, no, not that I, not that I have seen. It was mainly, I mean, mainly all of the stuff that I've seen was just the the feelings that HD had towards Briar. So Briar ne- never had any extracurricular activities. Not that, not that it's documented. No, not that I've seen at all. Hmm. It's kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah, it is. Like, like it, they were such a generous person, and they gave so much, and at the end of the day like what what did they get honestly a lot of shit it's just like I mean if I was ever in a situation where I was with a partner and they were telling people very openly in poems etc etc and things that they were writing that they loathed me and that they didn't want anything to do with me Mm. I would probably end the relationship at some point no matter (laughs) what kind of situation was like but then to continue and to go on and adopt the child and marry another man mm. just for the sake of this woman. I mean, it's either true love or Briar was a little bit um, of a, what's the word? Um, could be many words. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, a hopeless romantic? I wouldn't say hopeless romantic. I'd say just a little bit Submissive? Soft, sub- submissive. Not problem. even... It is quite a submissive behaviour. Mm-hmm. I was wondering whether they did all of that for the child as well, because then if they had to face a similar situation where you wouldn't be recognised by, you know, like your father, for instance, or, you know, like you're almost like legally not part of your family. Oh, yeah. Then I was wondering kind of whether, yes, maybe it was for HD as well. But then given that they seem so caring and like so ready to help others, like, I don't know whether, not necessarily that they, that they saw themselves in this child, mm. but uh, whether they were more ready to help HD because of the child and because, like, the child was in a similar situation to to what they had lived. Mm. That's actually a very good point. I hadn't thought, thought about it like that. It's just a guess, though. It's not. Yeah, it is a very queer way of building a family and, mm-hmm. like, putting especially when you come from such a unwelcoming yeah. uh, set of parents, it does make sense that you would kind of be more compassionate when you see a child that needs that support. Mm. Did that, do we know if that child grew up okay? I think the child did. Um, I didn't, I didn't really look into it, to be honest. I wasn't, I was more focused on the, the drama that was happening. Um, mm-hmm. Understandable, understandable. Mm-hmm. And so that just like totally slipped my mind. The only thing that I was wondering was, you know, like if HD was so busy, like going to sleep with so many people and stuff like that, like, where'd you find the time? 
to stick with your child. Tell me about it, man. This kid must have just because been like, was like what, what, what happens to the child? I have a vague recollection that maybe the child was in boarding school for a lot of time. Yeah. That probably Bray was paying for. Probably, so... yeah. Because HD's poems about how shit Briar was probably weren't paying much rent. It's very weird, though. There's a, like, so they have the name, the kid has the name Perdita McPherson Schaffner. Where the fuck did Schaffner come from? Schaffner. That's what I mean. Um, Or maybe maybe she got married to somebody else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I forgot that that was a (laughs) thing. She didn't remain a child for the whole life. I totally forgot that that was a thing. Fucking hell, what's wrong with me? Anyway, she died at 82, which is great. That's a long life, lovely. Um, she was an active uh, philanthropist and served on many of the boards of cultural institutions in New York. She was also an author of many published essays as well as unpublished fiction. The identity <laughs> of her father was a subject she long refused to discuss, although she was amused when biographers and dissertation writers deduced that he must have been the poet Ezra Pound, who at one time was HD's fiance, or the novelist D.H. Lawrence, who was a close friend. Oh, okay, right. Neither of these two men were in the picture in this book, let me tell you. Yeah, exactly. Well, HD was busy. Mm. Interesting. Um, Making the most of that time in Paris. And you know what? All power to her. She obviously had a yeah, yeah, good uh, active sex life. Life. <laughs> but do you know what? The one thing that just is kind of crazy to me is just how open mm. everybody was in these relationships back then. Like, yeah, we think that we're becoming more open as a society now, and like, there's loads of open relationships, or there's loads of like non-monogamous uh, relationships now. Mm. But like back mm. then. Everybody's fucking everybody and everyone is okay with that. Yeah, it's quite interesting because this time as well, they're coming out of the Victorian era, which is known to be very buttoned up and prim and proper. But actually, there was a lot of stuff happening and they were getting their kid off a lot. Wow, this is why it's so crazy. I think though, like also, if you come from a place where loads of things are not allowed, like as soon as you get to somewhere else like Paris, where mm. basically it's the reverse, like everything is allowed, mm. then you're like, oh yeah, you know, like I want to try everything and so on. And yeah, so you forth. can just so be completely like, free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's incredible. It's quite refreshing as a very as a history to learn this information. And um, when, like, in your research and when we were choosing our people to talk about what what was it that drew you to briar in particular i think one of the things that really drew me to briar is just the sheer generosity um of somebody and how kind of far it could go um Mm. how much shit one person could take and just continue to be just such a nice person it was just insane um as well as the fact that like briar was using the money that had come from their parents and Mm literally just handing it out to all of these people in Paris that needed money mm-hmm. and was just funding like the queers of the city and mm. you know like the the people that were pioneering modernism so yeah I mean I think that that's probably I mean that's definitely it's pretty impressive yeah. very inspiring yeah definitely it really is mm-hmm. yeah and what do you think Briar's impact has been or was on queer society of the time 
and do you think that has had any lasting impact? Well, I think I mean the the stereotype of like queer relationships and the fact that the fact that there's so much drama. I mean that's definitely been brought forward uh, until now. Mm. Um, so that was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I think that's that's more something to thank HD about than than to thank Briar. But I think just, I mean, Briar's books were very influential and they were like, there were different poems, there were different novels. And I think that they have helped, like, as I mentioned, they wrote many novels about the 12 year old that was trapped inside. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that for, for example, for trans people now to understand Mm -hmm. that and to understand that it's not just this new thing that's happening recently and that, you know, Mm -hmm. like trans people have been around for such a long time and it is so normal to be in that kind of state of oh my god like how should I be feeling is this normal what the fuck you know like that kind of headspace um and so definitely Mm -hmm. that I think has been brought forward um Mm -hmm. not that maybe I don't know how popular the books are for trans people necessarily or how well known they are for that Mm -hmm. um but then just the fact that they were funding all of these incredible women and people and artists or whatever um Mm -hmm. and giving them a chance to really showcase like what they could give and Mm -hmm. in turn that obviously has impacted the modernist movement Mm -hmm. yeah yeah wow very cool person incredible honestly much more interesting than i thought yeah yeah they did a lot Mm. I remember when I was reading that chapter, I was like, fuck, like they're just giving, like, like you said, they're literally just handing out cash on the street. Yeah, man. And uh, it's, I don't know, it is really nice to read about that because like you said the other day, their dad was the richest man in the world at the time, or the richest man in the UK. I think that he like, because his, so his wealth now is like ridiculous like ridiculous ridiculous amounts like if you transfer the money from like what it was then which was i think was like 36 million pounds yeah but Mm -hmm. in the like 1900 like early 1900s that like right now would be like 200 billion or something like that like it's ridiculous just disgusting Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i mean it's he had enough you know like he had enough to fund all of these lesbians in Paris let me tell you yeah I'm just now looking for the modern version of the person that's gonna fund this lesbian in Denmark (laughs) where are the rich lesbians at yeah tell me yeah that's incredible Mm. yeah thanks for sharing that research so um Leah just imagine that you're walking in the streets of Paris with some lesbian friends and you see somebody that you'd like to know more about do you have a pickup line for her of course I do um so I'd run over to her obviously um hoping that my lesbian friends are not watching me because that puts a lot of pressure on Uh, and I would say your name must be Jane because I'm getting lost in your eyes like Jane Austen (laughs) like Jane Austen oh my god (laughs) Is it bad deliverance? What is happening to me? Maybe it's it's the sound. Maybe it's the sound. But Are you sure? I reckon it's the deliverance. It must be Jane because I'm getting Austin in your eyes. I'm getting Austin in Lost in, like lost in, lost in. But because it's Jane Austen, it's kind of hard. So it's like lo- Austin, your eyes. <laughs> Love. Listen, when you have to explain it, it doesn't work. Maria? 
I, I was gonna say probably if you find like the one very nerdy lesbian like yeah 10 out of 10 <laughs> but I figured since we were doing our writers like it should be book themed no no I love it I love it it's great work beautiful beautiful all right as always thank you as always thank you so much for listening to today's episode we hope you've enjoyed it if you have anything that you'd like to say to us you can reach out at dicalicious underscore podcast on instagram or if you have more to say you can send us an email at dicalicious.podcast at gmail.com and we would absolutely love it if you leave a five star or any star review <laughs> on the podcast app that you're that you're listening to. It really will help us find other listeners and spread the word, spread the lesbianism. And yeah, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, we will. Stay strong, Stay strong. lesbians and other queer people <laughs> that are listening. We love you all equally. We do. We do. Bisous, bisous. Let them hear us sing. Free the nipple. Free the nipple. Let it slip. Just the tip. Free the nipple. Let them. Free the. Let it slip. Take it off.